Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Taking Your Next Step podcast from Collegians for Christ. Through each episode, we will journey together focusing on knowing what you believe and why you believe it. If you are eager, like I am, to strengthen your faith, then take your next step now by joining us in today's episode. Now, as we think about the Bible in general, it's the top-selling book in the world. Why is that? Well, there's something unique and different about the Bible, about God's Word. It's not like an ordinary book. Now, the Bible has the most manuscript evidence of any book from antiquity. That is amazing if you think about it, and it's not just by like a slim margin. It's by an extremely large margin. What does that tell us? Well, the historical accuracy of the Bible can be verified uh, very easily, and so we know what we have today is what was originally written. Uh, So there's obviously something very unique and different about it when compared to other books. Well, how would you describe the Bible to someone? You know, not everybody knows what the Bible is. Not everybody understands what we should know about it. Uh, They may think it's just another book. They may think it's some type of mythological religious book, but we need to help them to see. I think the greatest thing we can help people to understand about the Bible is that, yes, it's God's word, but it can be verified historically, that it is accurate, that it's archaeologically verifiable, meaning the places and names and things that are in there are actually tied to real people and real historical events. And that helps to verify the message contained in the Bible. Because sometimes people can think, which is kind of what I thought, it's just a religious book with a bunch of like Aesop's fables, just this kind of fictitious, mythological, you know, But when you read it and study it, you realize it's tied to real people, real events. Uh, The resurrection is a uh, the capstone. It's really the the defining factor of Christianity. If that one event did not occur, then the whole thing is is vanity, false, is empty. It has no meaning. And even the Bible says that itself. But it's interesting. It's tied to an actual historical event that is verified in the Bible. But also the resurrection of Jesus Christ is verified by many sources outside of scripture and even many critics also help us to verify that Jesus truly existed. Jesus uh, was placed in a tomb and that Jesus's tomb was empty and that the uh, apostles truly believed and other people believed that he rose from the dead. So let's jump into what Peter says here about the word of God. Very important what he shares here to these people that he's trying to give hope to that are scattered abroad because, you know, he can share stuff with them, but it's the message of the word of God that provides that hope. And so he says in verse number 22, seeing you have purified your souls uh, in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So first of all, in our study guide there, which you can download and print off, the teacher notes are also there for you on the website. The word of God purifies, and it purifies in two ways. One is through obedience, and the other is let her be through the Holy Spirit. Now, purifies. It doesn't take us to have rocket scientists to figure out, you know, what that means. It means to make clean or to cleanse from defilement or to make us clean from being dirty. Ephesians 5, 26 talks about the word of God cleanses or will cleanse the church. Psalm 119, 11 talks about we've, we've hid God's word in our heart that we might not sin against God. And that means the word of God prevents sin or cleanses us from sin. You see, if you want to change life and victory over your sin, the secret's found where? In the word of God. You see that purifying, though, hinges on one thing we see in our passage here. 
It hinges on our obedience to the teachings of the Word of God. And Jesus hammered that down. And so does James. Jesus in chapter 7 during the Sermon on the Mount as he finished up. You're a wise man. If you build your house upon a rock, you do that by not only hearing the Word of God, but you also do what the Word of God says. You're a foolish man. If you build your house upon the sand, who builds their house upon the sand? The person who hears the same teachings but does not do them. And so our we're, lives are purified, but it's connected through our obedience to the Word of God. See, and you have purified your souls in what? Obeying the truth through the Spirit. And so the purifying hinges on our obedience, but that obedience is helped through the Holy Spirit. So it's through the Holy Spirit we're able to understand the Word of God, and it's through the Holy Spirit that we're able to obey the Word of God. Jesus gave us a lot of truth about the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, right before the disciples left, or right before he left the disciples, he has that last night with them, John 13 through 17. It's a very intimate moment. He says, look, if I don't go away, I cannot send this comforter to you. It's very important that I go away. And they were trying to understand what he's talking about. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, which is who he refers to, and that means another comforter, the same as Jesus, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will do this. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, how we're not to live of righteousness to show us that there's a right way to live and of judgment to know that we will be judged according to our sin or will be judged on this earth according to what we've done for Jesus with the talents and the opportunities given us, depending on if we're a believer in Jesus Christ, it'll be the judgment seat of Christ. If we are not, it'll be the white throne judgment. And so that's what the Holy Spirit convicts of. And he says, I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So we understand the word of God can be hard to understand at times. Uh, it can be difficult. There's truths that are very deep, that are mind-searching, uh, but it doesn't mean we cannot understand them. That's why the Holy Spirit is given so that you and I can understand Scripture. Every time that I sit down, or almost, I can't say every time, that's a, uh, but almost every time I sit down before Scripture, Psalm 119.18, I just pray, Lord, open thou my eyes that I may behold wonderful works from thy law. And so I'm just asking God, please guide me. Please open my eyes and my mind and help me to understand your word. Now, the desired outcome of the word here in our passage uh, is that we would love one another. So it's not that we just take in God's word just for ourselves. There should be an outcome. There should be an outward living as a result of what we're internalizing. He says this, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, Peter uses two different Greek words for love here. He uses phileo love, which is brotherly love, the, the love you and I have in relationships with one another. But he also uses agape love, which is the sacrificial or the love that God has. Warren Wiersbe said this, we share brotherly love because we are brothers and sisters in Christ and have likeness. likeness. We share agape love because we belong to God and therefore can overlook differences. Now, notice the words Peter uses to describe this love here. He said, unfeigned love. That means genuine. 
without hypocrisy, and then pure, with a pure heart. We understand that means clean, uh, fervent. It means intensely, continual, this intense strain. So we are to put a lot of intention into loving other people. Why is that? Because that's what the Word of God commands. And as you and I are purified, our hearts are made clean, then we'll want to do what the Word of God says. You know, many times you hear, just follow your heart. Well, unfortunately, that sounds like a good mantra, but it's actually bad advice because the Bible tells us your heart is desperately wicked. And no man can know it. If you follow your heart, your heart will lead you to the wrong places. And that's why it's essential that you and I purify ourselves, purify our hearts so that we can live right. We can love others like we're supposed to because the natural tendency is to love self before we love others. So the Word of God purifies. But then secondly, the Word of God also converts. 23, he said, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So here he's referencing back to John chapter 3, where the conversation with Nicodemus went down about you must be born again. So the emphasis there is a person is born again when they believe on or call on Jesus Christ to save them. So he says, look, you're born again, not of corruptible seed. Now, what is he referring to when he says corruptible seed. Well, he's referring back to 18, which we just looked at in our previous study. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So salvation is not by money. It's not by works or tradition. That is the corruptible seed. It will die. Those things will go away. They cannot redeem us or they cannot bring us back to God. And salvation is not by any other religious book, by traditions. Uh, It is only through the Word of God. The Word of God is truth, right? So Peter is emphasizing or really re-emphasizing that our salvation is not up to us, which is such a common thought process. But this is why he says you can live with hope because it's not based in corruptible things, in this corruptible sea, but incorruptible. We see that here, letter B, by incorruptible sea. We're born again by the Word of God. Romans 10, 17, so faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You see, it's the Word of God that convicts, it converts, it changes and cleanses us. Without the Word of God, there can be no redemption. The Word of God contains the gospel message, and without it, a man cannot be redeemed. So the Word of God is more than just black letters on white paper. The Word of God is alive. As being incorruptible seed, it produces growth. When you think about that word seed, what does it mean? It means it produces growth, it's living, it spreads, but also it multiplies. Think about that. When you plant a seed, it produces a fruit tree, a vegetable that produces many, many, many more seeds. And so the Word of God, as it's placed in people's lives, should multiply into many other people's lives. You see, because we're born again of incorruptible seed, we can live with hope. Our hope will not die. It will not become corrupt. So we see the Word of God cleanses us, it converts us, and then lastly here, the Word of God endures. This is a powerful truth here. One, letter A, man has a shelf life. And so Peter pulls from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 8, and he says, For all flesh is as grass. So he's comparing you and I to grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. So he compares you and I to vegetation out in our yard. You think about grass. Beautiful. I love green fescue grass. I've done lawn care and landscaping for many years uh, for myself, and I, I can just roll around in it like it's carpet. I love it. 
But guess what? That fescue grass or whatever kind of grass you have will eventually turn brown and die off. That reproduces itself through seed and so forth, uh, but it dies off. And he says, look, our physical lives have a definite ending point. We will all die at some point. The earth will be destroyed. But in contrast to these things, it will die and uh, come apart and, and end. God's word will endure through the end. So the word of God does not have a shelf life. You think about food that has a shelf life. It's only good for an X amount of time, and then it needs to be discarded. Well, the word of God has no shelf life. It abides and lives forever. Abide there just means remains, endures, perseveres forever. So we understand the word of God is alive. How is it alive? It's because Jesus Christ is the Word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, or the Word is God. So we understand the Word that we have in our Bible. Why is this book so different? Yes, we understand men wrote it as they were inspired, and so they wrote as God guided them, but what they wrote was the eternal Word of God. We can say God's word was eternal. Now you say, well, God's word came into existence at a specific time and place. How could it be eternal? Great question. It's because Jesus Christ is the word. Because he is the word, he is eternal. The word of God was settled from the beginning of what it would be. And as it got communicated and written and settled down, it is the eternal word of God. It is the logos. It is Jesus Christ embodied in written form. The world was created by the word. Hebrews 11.3 tells us the world is sustained by the word of God. Hebrews 1.1-3 1, 1 tells us that. So in, in essence then, in conclusion, the word of God endures forever. It remains. It abides. It will not perish. And so here Peter used the same word twice. As he said, the word of God abides and the word of God, word of the Lord endures. What is that? It's for emphasis. He doubles up that emphasis. So you and I should desire, crave, hunger for God's word like a baby would for a bottle. That's what he tells us in chapter 2 here. Since the word of God is our uh, foundation, really, of hope, he says this, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Basically, if you have the word of God and you're internalizing it, something should be different on the outside. And we should see that. So lay these things aside. And he says this, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So just as a baby, a small infant, what does that infant do? It sleeps and eats. And it lets you know when it needs to eat. But it has to have that milk, that bottle, in order for it to grow. It can't eat cereal. It can't eat a steak. It needs that to grow. And uh, Peter contrasts our need and desire for the Bible to a baby needing that bottle and needing that milk. So the Bible is of supreme importance. It's absolutely essential to our Christian life and our growth. There's no substitute, no way around it. And so as you think about you and the Bible, I think the biggest thing you can uh, have is uh, consistency with it. Reading plans are great. Uh, devotionals are great. Uh, but if the Word of God is so vitally important for us to have hope, for us to grow, for us to be cleansed, for us to be uh, purified, as the Bible said, and for us to make sure you know we're growing and living the correct way, then you and I need to be immersed in it. We need to have the Word of God daily, consistently. And so as you think about that, you can tell how important something is to someone by two things. 
Number one is this, how much time they invest into it and how long they are willing to work at it. So think about you and your relationship to the Word of God. How important is it to you? You can tell that by how much time you're willing to invest in it and how long you've been willing to work at it. Now, maybe you say, well, I'm kind of off my reading plan, or it's been a while since I've been in the Word of God. Well, guess what? It doesn't mean you have to stay out. There, the, the good thing about the Christian life is it is a the Christian life is a full of new beginnings, meaning you can ask God for help. You can say, okay, today is going to be a new beginning for me. I can hit reset. The Christian life is a life of new beginnings. And so ask God to help you dive in today. And the most important thing is just try to stay consistent on a steady diet, just as that baby would in order to grow, in order to develop on the Word of God. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.